This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us as we continue with our series, Real Life, Real Community. And now, here's Martha with our message. Palm Sunday challenge, not a 2020 Palm Sunday challenge, but it is good to be in the building. Our scripture this morning is not your traditional Palm Sunday scripture, but it talks about celebration, which is what we are doing today. I invite you to hear these words from the fourth chapter of what we call the book of Philippians. It's actually a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Philippi. I invite you to hear these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things and keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard in me. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is hard to believe that we are at our final Sunday in the season of Lent and in our final sermon in the sermon series, Real Life, Real Community. It's even harder to believe that a year ago we were not able to celebrate this way. We had a beautiful plan last year for Palm Sunday that included a lot of people and a lot of music, and we had to put that on pause We still didn't quite get to be as large as we want, but we're back on track. So that is reason for celebration for me, at least. But in this last 12 months, I think probably more so than ever, we've all come to realize the value of community. And the premise behind this entire sermon series of real life, real community is that our real lives, our real everyday comings and goings, our jobs, our schools, our marriages, our relationships, our health problems, our health celebrations, and on and on they go. All of that part that we call our real life was meant to be lived in real community. And for followers of Jesus, that means a community of faith. A community of faith that supports us, that encourages us, and quite frankly, that even challenges us at times. These last few weeks of this series, we've been looking at what we call disciplines or practices that we do as a community of faith. The first one we looked at was confession. Not exactly something that we relish, that we think is fun, but confession brings about freedom and a release. Then we talked about guidance, about how as a a community of faith or as friends in, in the faith journey or our small groups together we discern how God is guiding us individually and as a group. And last week, Rennie led us in a message about worship. But these things are called disciplines. 
which sounds a little bit like drudgery, can make it sound awfully serious and no fun. And quite frankly, sometimes we can try so hard to adhere to our disciplines that we're downright grumpy. There's a scene in, in a movie, it's, it's a chick flick, I'll go ahead and give you that, Steel Magnolias, remember that one? There's a scene in the movie of one of my favorite characters, Weeza, played by Shirley MacLaine. If you know the movie, you know the, the mindset. Weeza is a bit of a grump. And she's in this scene, she's just got through telling all of her friends that in her lifetime she managed to marry, in her words, the two greatest losers that she could possibly marry. And then she managed to raise the most three ungrateful children that you could possibly raise. And in this diatribe, she's telling her friends that it just seems like a good idea to her that she just needs to spend the rest of her life alone. And her friend Malin looks at her and says, Well, Weeza, if that's really how you feel, maybe you need to see some counseling. Come down to the counseling office and, and let's get you some counsel. And Weeza looked at her and she says, Malin, I'm not crazy. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. Sometimes, some Christians live as if we've been in a very bad mood for 40 or however many years it's been because we take ourselves so seriously. Sometimes we can get so serious about adhering to rules or living in some pious manner that we ourselves can't even live up to, much less anyone else. And the perception is that sometimes we can be a little grumpy. Sometimes we might even look like the people that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 6. His disciples came to him and were asking him about fasting and prayer. And Jesus said to them, don't be like those religious leaders who crinkle up their brow and look dismal when they're fasting. He says, don't do that. Some of us on the sixth Sunday of Lent might look that way. But Jesus says, don't do that. And John Wesley said, sour godliness is the devil's religion. What use is our stuffy religious rules if we walk around grumpy all the time? What witness is it to Jesus Christ if we're just a bunch of sour pusses? Nobody wants to hang out with a bunch of grumpy people. Which brings us to our last stop on our journey of these disciplines together, and the discipline is celebration. Now, one would think that comes naturally, but it's actually something that we have to practice. Paul actually calls it rejoicing, calls us to rejoice. In fact, he says it twice, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice in the Lord. That's the same thing as typing an all text, excuse me, an all caps text. When you get a text that's in all caps, what do you do? You pay attention, don't you? It might be a good one, it might be a bad one. But that's what Paul is trying to get us to do here, to pay attention. Rejoicing must be pretty important then. There are, by a rough count, about 326 Greek words in the New Testament for joy or be joyful or be joyous. 326 words. Oftentimes, when we read this particular scripture from Philippians, when Paul says to rejoice always, we say it to each other, and what we mean is just cheer up. It'll be okay. For the trials or struggle or whatever we're going through, just cheer up. Everything will be okay, as if we can flip this mental happy switch, and everything's fine. 
But it begs the question, are we just supposed to be happy all the time and ignore the immense suffering in our own lives, in our own world, and in the world around us? Not at all. Because suffering is real. It's probably more real to us this year than it ever has been before. If we're going to talk about real life and real community, we have to talk about the fact that suffering is real. And it's personal and it's hard. But how in the world then are we to rejoice in the midst of struggles? There are a couple of schools of thought on this topic, one of which suggests that we Christians, we followers of Jesus, should just blindly accept the evils and the struggles of the world as part of God's plan, as part of God's will. In fact, when we take this scripture and just say, cheer up, out of context and other scriptures, that's when we begin to just blindly accept it. There's another scripture also written by the Apostle Paul, the same one who wrote Philippians it's in uh, Romans 8:28, I believe. The Apostle Paul wrote that God works all things together for the good of those who love God. And often the temptation for us is to assume that it says God causes all things for good. That stands in direct conflict with God's loving and good nature, to blindly accept that God causes things and to rejoice for them says that we would rejoice for four Asian women being shot, that we would rejoice for young lives in our own cities being brought to an end by gunfire or by suicide, that we would rejoice for atrocities such as human trafficking, that we would rejoice for those folks who lost their homes to tornadoes yesterday. There's a difference in rejoicing for and rejoicing in. The school of thought that says we should just blindly accept all these evils and rejoice for them as God's will makes God out to be an evil and unloving God. And friends, I am here to tell you that if that is who I thought God is, I would hand you my credentials to be your pastor, walk out these doors, and never come back. That is not who God is. But on the other hand, if we read this scripture more in line with what the Apostle Paul means and more in line with the whole of scripture, what we see is that we can rejoice in God that we can rejoice and celebrate in circumstances. That teaching looks at suffering and evil and struggles and acknowledges that it's real. Doesn't just shove it under the rug or try to candy coat it. It accepts that it is real. But it also looks at it understanding that God's ultimate redeeming love, God's healing God's grace works to redeem the suffering. And that's why we're able to celebrate and rejoice, not for the struggles or the suffering or the evil, but despite of it, 
in the midst of it, knowing that God is with us. No one understood suffering and struggles in the Bible, second to Jesus probably, with the exception of Paul. No one understood suffering and struggles better than the man who actually wrote these words, rejoice in the Lord always. It's actually what gave Paul what we call the street cred to say these words. Of those 326 Greek words that are used to talk about joy or being joyful or joyous, in all of the Apostle Paul's letters that he wrote that are in the New Testament, he used about 130 of those words to talk about joy. But he himself knew suffering. He had been stoned. He knew hunger. He knew cold. He experienced shipwreck. He was in prison. He was actually in prison when he wrote these words. He watched his own friends suffer. He himself probably carried a lifetime of guilt and remorse over leading some of the persecution of Christians. It could actually be said that Paul endorsed the murder of Christians. Of all people, Paul knew suffering and he knew struggles and he knew hard time, yet he's still able to talk about rejoicing. Joyful celebration does not depend on circumstances. So then what does it depend on? How are we to celebrate and rejoice? If there's no little happy light switch, how does it work? That's why it's called a discipline. It takes practice. Paul continued after saying rejoice always with some instructions on how to do it. He told the people in Philippi to pray about everything, to put your, cast your worries, your cares, your burdens, your anxieties before God. He went on and he told them, think about whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, and let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. Our minds are powerful things. That thing that sits just a couple of inches above our shoulders called a brain is a powerful thing that God gave us. With our minds, we assess, we reason, we apply logic, we solve problems, we enjoy relationships, we create beauty. Our minds are wonderful things but they can also be dangerous things. I don't know about you, but my mind is a lot like my friend says, a bad neighborhood. No one should go there alone. Because left to our own devices, we're tempted to revert to focusing on the negative, the bad, the evil, the worries, the anxieties. But when given over to the power of the Holy Spirit, the very power that raised Jesus to new life, we can find cause for celebration. 16th century theologian and actually Protestant leader of Reformation, I believe we would say, Martin Luther said this, you can't stop the birds flying around your head 
but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. I have a friend who apparently left the sunroof open on his car one day this past week and left it outside, and amazingly it didn't rain that night, which was odd. But the birds, he said, did not come and nest in his car, but they did leave a few presents inside the car, if you know what I mean. Many of us experience hardships as we go through life that leave a few of those presents. Celebrating in Christ, celebrating with Christ, guarding our hearts and our minds reminds us to close the sunroof, to keep the hopelessness, the negativity, the anger from nesting in our minds. Now, lest we think I'm talking about the power of positive thinking, I'm not. However, I am a firm believer in brain science and psychology, and all of there is, there is a lot of merit to that, and I am all for it. But we do well to remember that of our own willpower, we're limited. It can only go so far. So I prefer to call this the power of Holy Spirit thinking. It takes something stronger than ourselves to celebrate in the midst of trials. The power of Holy Spirit thinking is a practice. It's a discipline. There's, I could sit here and stand here and tell you there are just a few simple things that we could do that are practices, and there are. We have a practice, I have a practice of naming three things to be grateful for every single day. It begins to change your perspective. How about a practice of not engaging in argumentative or combative comments on social media? That requires discipline, doesn't it? But it can make some changes. When we allow ourselves to rest, we create space for more joy. We are the most overworked society in the history of the world and in the world right now. A little rest brings about a little joy. And how about having fun in church? Now, there's a novel idea. I get to egg somebody this week. We have some eggs that we're going to go hide in people's yards. I've never egged anybody, and I'm really pumped about it. I'm not going to throw eggs at your house, I promise you. But you might find some Easter eggs in your yard. It's fun. I once heard someone say in a church I used to serve, why in the world are we having trunk or treat? That's not about Jesus. Jesus is fun, people. It's okay for Jesus to be fun. Read some of the parables with a little bit of human humor in them. They're downright hilarious, guys. We've got to lighten up a little bit. But we must also remember, it's not always simple. There aren't three or seven easy practices to a joy-filled life in some cases. It's not always that simple because there are times of deep, deep darkness. Rennie shared with me a story this week of a person who experienced that deep, deep darkness. A person who experienced deep grief and loss for several years. When we experience grief and loss, anger can start to set in. Downright unpleasantness begins to set in. 
This person experienced grief times 10. But what this person shared this week was that over these last 12 months, of all things in the middle of an isolated pandemic, this person was able to spend more time with God than ever before and was finally able to say that that this person was freed from the grief, the burden of that grief. In fact, was able to say that they're grateful for it. Not grateful for the loss of a loved one. That would be rejoicing for. That is not what this person was saying. But grateful for the experience of learning to depend fully on God. That's what rejoicing in is about. Jesus himself experienced deep, deep darkness. And it began on what we now call Palm Sunday. In the midst of intense celebration, Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, people waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna, laying cloaks down on the ground as he made his way in. They rejoiced, but their rejoicing was falsely placed. It was placed in a hope a savior that they wanted, a quick, swift, political, military freeing. A few days later, they would find out it was different. A few days later, Jesus would endure intense suffering himself. It is often in the depths of the struggle, the throes of grief, the ugliness of anger and resentment, that the peace of Christ can surpass understanding, can surpass the current circumstances and bring celebration. As we look to the celebration of Easter, thank you, Lord, in the building this year. As we look to the celebration of Easter, seven days from now, let us remember that it was the suffering, it was the cross, it was the empty tomb that brought about celebration and that made a way for God to redeem all of our trials and our struggles. Rejoicing in God is not about rejoicing for the hard times. It's about rejoicing in the hope and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as we begin a new sermon series to help us discover the impact of resurrection in our everyday lives. The hope found in Jesus' resurrection isn't just about going to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth. See you then.